Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower and get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Jeremy Webb. Hello Jeremy, please tell us a bit about yourself. So my name is Jeremy Webb. I'm 50 years old from Southampton in England. My first row was in 2014. I was a mid-Atlantic row, skippered by Simon Chalk. There were seven of us in the crew and we did the crossing in 39 days and 23 hours. It was an independent row and it was very much a sort of pay-per-seat row and that Simon organised um, just about everything really. And we just turned up, had did some boat um, prep and then we sort of set off once the weather was correct. Uh, my second row was another independent row, slightly different this time in that it was around Britain. And I actually sort of, once I came up with the idea, because it had been done before, but fancy doing it. So found the boat, found the crew, found the kit um, and worked with Chris Martin, who supported us from land and was like a knowledge Bible for us. And this time I did it in 37 days and three hours and a few minutes. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Now, the big question first, why did you want to row across an ocean? Well, there's slightly different reasons for both of them, really. Uh, the first one, I'd been gig rowing um, for Ilfram Gig Club in North Devon for a few years and sort of things had sort of, you know, it's really into a sport. You sign up for various bits and pieces and I was got onto a mailing list, I think, for Simon Chalk's company at the time. I sort of had an idea of wanting to do it and nothing really plans about doing it. And then... When I sort of turned 40, things went a bit sort of sideways, I guess. Um, I got divorced. My parents died unexpectedly in the mid-60s. Life was a bit messy. And it was just sort of quite tough, really. And I was sat at work and an advert, an email sorry, from Gemma dropped in saying, we're looking for a crew. Um, we've got some spaces rowing the Mid-Atlantic. And I thought, well, I've got three children, but they're with their mum now. Um, I see them at weekends. I've got some money from my parents. So I thought, why not? So I gave Gemma a ring. Um, we had a chat and then we met up. Simon, Gemma and I met up in a pub in North Devon. And it was a bizarre conversation, really. It started off with um, just talking about the row and what was expected and bits and pieces. And somewhere during the conversation, um, it turned to I'd be rowing in this seat and I would be uh, expected to do this and that. And um, yeah, it was really good. It was what I needed at that time. And I'd always be grateful for Simon and Gemma for taking a chance on that. So with that, I had a long notice period because of the role I was in. So I resigned from my job and went and rowed an ocean and relocated back to um, Southampton from North Devon. So when I got back, I was going to be closer to the children. And um, yeah, and just finally a job. And yeah, it was uh, quite a cathartic mission for rowing for me, really. Because it was, yeah, all about a fresh start for me after what had gone on. And when I got back, I sort of found a job and was doing bits and pieces. But as many rows had so sort of like that hunger lust um, for maybe doing something else or different. So I spoke to Simon and a few people and came up with the idea of rowing around Britain. So yeah, was it post-adventure blues? Probably. I was also in a situation then that I had that sort of bit of flexibility. So yeah, I... Um, Got in touch with Simon. He, by chance, had a boat that was a shell that had been washed up and then got hold of Chris Martin. And yeah, I just fancied doing something very different and this time putting a crew together um, and actually organising it all and not so much as a turn up and see. There weren't, like I said, so many barriers. I then got together with somebody and a fiancé and um, she really only had one thing. And that was before she, before I went, she wanted to be pregnant in case I didn't come back. So... <laughs> 
So, so once that was taken care of, I was good to go, really. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing time riding around Britain. And um, yeah, there were loads of barriers all the way through that, really, um, whether it's trying to find finance to buy bits to get the boat sorted. How did I get over the finance? I sold stuff. I sold everything and anything I could. I sold the spare wheels off my van. I sold bits and pieces just to sort of raise any sort of money I could really to cover the costs. We did some charity events and sort of held up and held raffles. And we did some work raising money for charity and sort of all the normal avenues, really. I mean, the biggest problem was trying to find crew. I put some stuff out in various online forums and bits and pieces and spoke to friends and chris martin put initially in touch with a lady called claire who came on board and then tore her rotator cuff so she couldn't make it the guy called reese was easy to find because he was in the rowing club with me in north devon and was keen and 18 and sort of fairly free so he was good and then i'm not sure how but duncan from australia got in touch we had some chats and he had done the indian ocean and fancy doing something um obviously living in australia not quite so local but so he came over and then got hold of Nigel through a mutual friend called Liz when she heard I was looking for somebody. And Nigel originally was looking to do a solo attempt, but that sort of fallen through. So yeah, it all sort of got together, really. And I think all the barriers that came up, you just have to stop, take stock, find out how much of a barrier that is. Once you've understood the barrier, I guess you just break it down and just sort of work your way through it, really. And most of them can be overcome in some form or another, or different solutions found. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossings. Well, I'm going to push the boundaries here. I'm going to give you four, two for each of the crossings, really. For the first one, the Atlantic, I said swimming mid-Atlantic after 20-odd days of being six foot three in a tiny rowing boat on power anchor and various things um, was the first time I could actually stretch out and relax and not worry about falling over or breaking something or by then I had a bit of reputation I'd managed to destroy three or sorry two of the three buckets we had on board obviously was not ideal but yeah so that was one of the highlights just being able to relax and swim in the sea and it was just an amazing experience to feel that depth of water below you and the sea all around you and obviously the boat was obviously fairly handy to be there by the sides I think the next highlight was having Barbados come up on the horizon um, you obviously see the clouds and then you sort of slowly sort of see the, the cliffs and it starts getting bigger and bigger and as that was coming up we absolutely got hammered by a 20 minute hailstorm I'm not joking it was the hailstones were bouncing off the sea it was that hard so that sort of summed up the weather for us and was quite amusing in some ways we had had hardly any sunshine i think it was the wettest crossing uh, simon had ever had we'd had gale force winds we'd had calm we had sunshine we had rain i think if it had snow we'd have uh, got the full bingo card of weather conditions that could have been thrown at us so yeah i think they're the sort of the the highlights of of that one and then looking for highlights for the round britain row i'd always fancied i think the highlight for me was I was really looking forward to doing the Scottish coastline. Um, I don't know why, it was just maybe because I've been climbing in Scotland. I just really fancied or really was looking forward to getting amongst the islands and the navigational tasks that were sort of up there with some of the tidal flows. And it didn't disappoint. We had some of our best weather. Um, we flew across the top of Scotland in like a couple of days. And it was just amazing to see like be on top of Scotland and just looking at these sheer granite cliffs and the bird colonies and it, it was just it was just fantastic um I suppose other highlights um I think it was just the crew was really we got on really well we all had different um strengths and weaknesses and I think they sort of married up quite nicely uh, between the, the the four of us on the boat I mean there was tough times but 
I really enjoyed the companionship of Duncan, Nigel and Reese, And it's something that really, really made that crossing for me and was much, much more enjoyable um, for lots of different reasons than the Atlantic crossing. And if I was to squeeze one more highlight in, it would be when we were just off the uh, Northumbrian coast. I think we're about 10 miles offshore and we decided that we were going to go way out um, and catch the the winds that forecasted to take us down. And these guys in a little fishing boat came up to us. I was like, do you know there's a storm coming? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we're hoping to catch it, sort of take us down. And they offered some lobsters to us. Now, we've obviously seen the size of the lobster they're offering us and the size of the jet boil. Um, we had to politely decline as we weren't quite sure how we were going to get these massive lobsters in our jet boilers. Uh, but I, that was one of the highlights as well, I'd say. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? Well, there were two very different crossings for me. The first crossing, like I mentioned earlier, my parents had died quite suddenly in their mid-60s, wasn't really expected at all, didn't handle that particularly well. Um, like I said, I got divorced. It wasn't a nasty divorce, it was fairly mutual in the how it sort of came about. And then so I've got that separation with my parents dying. Yeah, I was not really handling lots of things very well. And they're sort of, sort of very tough mental challenges, if anything. And that was what the first row was all about. It was just that drawing a line under the last three or four years. And so, yeah, physically, the Atlantic was hard. Um, I suffered from seasickness. I lost some weight. And, yeah, I really struggled for a little while to sort of get back into it. But, no, I had some good sleeps eventually. And I did feel that physically I did the Atlantic okay. It wasn't too bad. I got some blisters on my toes and stuff, but they weren't too much. Well, they were an issue, but they didn't really stop me rowing. But I think the biggest thing was the mental mental things, just sort of time to come to terms with the death of my parents. And I remember now we were a few nights, we were like middle of the night, we had the wind howling around us. The rain was absolutely slamming into us. Um, it wasn't cold. It was quite warm, but it was like actually just drenching down. And I just sort of remember they're just sort of like sitting on the boat. We were all rowing away, you know, and lost thoughts, just thinking of my parents and just tears would be rolling down my, my cheeks, just sort of just being sad and just sort of accepting they'd gone and I wasn't going to see them again. And once I sort of go over that, yeah, I, I enjoyed it more. Um, but no, that was, that was tough. Mentally, that was really tough. And sort of coming out of that was a lot better as you can imagine. And then I suppose Round Britain is, is a strange row um, because you've got the tides and the winds and everything. There are times when you just can't row because there's no point rowing against the tide. Well, we could. We could have sat out there and kept our position, but what we opted for most of the time was to put in somewhere, drop an anchor. Um, we did some 36-hour rows, two or three of those of like hour on, hour off, and then we found a, a harbour and we slept for like six hours and then we're fine so physically wasn't so tough around britain we didn't get our food quite right so that was probably tougher than sort of the physical side of it and had a bit of seasickness um mentally i felt much much stronger i had a new partner rebecca by then um, bex and she was amazing in helping me there was one stage when it was sort of it was tough going at times um and bless her she was coming up with all these ideas of oh when you come back you can do this and you can do that and you can don't do this challenge that challenge and i did have to politely say that can i just cope with doing this one first and been away and do everything before we get to the next one but um she it was amazing to have her um, and to be able to talk to her. Uh, and obviously around Britain, you're in mobile phone contact quite a lot of the time. So you can have those conversations and they can help that mental resilience and, and that touch point of home. Whereas in the Atlantic is a sat phone and sat phone conversations are the best time in the world, a bit stilted. And on the Atlantic, I didn't want to talk to people. Not really, not, not back at home. I did have a phone call with, with the children 
about halfway across, and that was really upsetting for me. Um, I found that quite hard. Uh, I hadn't phoned them before that because I didn't want for them to hear me in an upset state, and I sort of held it together with a phone call and stuff, and I think I might have spoke to them to a couple of times, but yeah. The Atlantic was mentally very tough, so that's how I would... Um, summarize those so, so i would say that if anybody's going to do a crossing don't underestimate the feeling of loneliness that you get even a crew of four or six because when you're rowing it's quite hard to talk to the person behind you because the wind's whipping the set the voice away and you're sort of shouting you're trying to row when you're not rowing you're trying to sleep or get recovery and yeah when you're doing cooks and stuff you can sort of open weather's good you might be able to have the door open and sort of chat to the people rowing but yeah don't underestimate and I'd have some I think I've got good and better coping strategies after my first row of how to do that but don't underestimate the loneliness that you will feel and the sheer exhaustion and how that might affect how you're feeling excluding people and pets which three things did you miss most while you were at sea um I mean for me both trips were I find rowing quite relaxing almost like a meditational state that you can get in and it's just sort of you're looking at the power output and the speed of the boat and there's so much to keep mentally sort of going and you're very focused it's this very for me very cathartic in that you can just block everything else out because nothing else really matters at that time but if you have to pin me down for the things that I was missing I would say on the Atlantic being a soft mattress oh they killed for a soft mattress we had some sort of flimsy airbed which after 24 hours was as flat as a pancake so after that it was basically laying on the um, fiberglass bed for the next 38 days which wasn't great but we slept and you're so tired anyway but no it'd be nice to have just a little bit of foam in there maybe um but simply to say i rectified that for around britain and made sure we had some really good foam uh, covered cushions in there that were oh yeah it was bliss enjoyed it far better sleep wise the atlantic is very blue you have blue skies and blue sea and okay they're sort of tinged with green maybe but you do get to miss um, the colour green, or I did to get miss the colour green, and just the trees and wildlife. It wasn't so much the noise, because there's obviously there's the clinking and the clanking of bits and pieces going on. But yeah, I'd say the colour green was something that I sort of missed. Uh, one final thing I would say for both of them, something crunchy to eat. Take some Doritos or something like that, because everything you eat is soft. It's rehydrated. It's a chocolate bar, which is not really crunchy. It's sort of chewy. I would say take something with a crunch to it and then use that. And that'd be a, yeah, definitely take something with a crunch with it next time. How much training did you do before the row? Um, training's a good one, actually. I read lots of different things about it. And I think training's come on a long way since I did my first row. And there's lots of people out there uh, who can help you with your training whether it's navigational training or boat skills and i think if you look around there's like rowing roy there's chris martin um and Rannick and people like that who can who can help you with the, those type of type skills in regards to the training that i did i did a sea survival training and, and not much else and some nav training but in regards to physical training for both of them i had a weights program that i did to increase strength and endurance focus on that quite hard I did Pilates for core and flexibility, which I felt really, really helped. 
I helped with the strength as well with the Pilates. Um, did some work with um, on reformers um, with a good friend, Linda. She was amazing um, and really got me into good shape and turned uh, quite stiff six foot four bloke six foot three bloke into someone who's once a great flexibility much better um and that really helped um when i got back as well and um, helped me with that as well rowing wise did walk on row on water rowing where i could um and i'd say just get used to being out on the sea and reading the sea and looking at the weather um so i had some of that going on anyway i've used water rowers and concept twos have i got preference for the two i'd say a water rower is a slightly softer row just because of its nature of it and the concept too is is hard is a little bit harder in its sort of row not that it makes a big difference but i'd say yeah whichever one you use it'd be actually fine and i tend to do 40 to 60 minute length rows really focusing on heart rate uh, my heart rate i would keep at around about uh, 135 i think it is 135 140 um it's not that much different now and that is really just sort of in the in the right zone for me and i would just keep the heart rate there keep the effort 20 22 strokes a minute i did do some two hour rows i don't think i did a row longer than two hours before i went on a rowing machine and that's the big payoff for me it was if you row for four hours on the rowing machine you then got to eat a lot of food, put all that back on again, and it's the muscle deterioration and the build-up and stuff. I don't believe that actually doing lots of four-hour or long endurance rows of over an hour really benefit you in terms of fitness. I think they're good in that they help you mentally prepare for a long time on a rowing machine and how you feel yourself through that period and what works well. But in regards to training, I'd say hour rows and really sort of work on it from that one, really. Did you suffer from any injury, sores, nasties or sickness? Yeah, that's a good one. Yes, was sore and stiff and all those sort of things um, sort of come along. And I did try to do some stretching, but to be honest, I was a bit lazy. Uh, you're too tired to stretch and you sort of row and, and that's done uh, try and sick um, I did get seasick I do get seasick at the start if the weather's start of them I get a bit seasick uh, during the row if the weather really kicks up bad rough um, I will have another bout of seasickness and the only way I can get with seasickness really is row if I'm rowing then it goes off fine sleeping is horrible and trying to keep the food down um, that was quite hard work and I lost a lot of weight on the Atlantic just because of the length of seasickness and then not being able to put enough calories back on or even have built up any sort of you always been a deficit but I was just in a massive deficit once I'd had that seasickness bout really and couldn't really get it back physically I think I coped her well but obviously a bit of extra food would have helped in terms of injuries the only one really I got on the Atlantic was I managed to rub two absolutely massive about inch diameter blisters on top of each of my big toes which were incredibly painful um, and the skin peeled off and it's just like two big weeping pus balls on my toes um, so the only way I got rid of those was cut the end of the trainers off and get them clean as dry as I could um, it was a bit of a faff at the end of each row and start of each row because then I had to sort of like adjust the foot straps so they were further down my feet but after a couple of weeks they sort of healed over and they weren't too bad but I haven't really got any long-term injuries um, I was quite stiff when I got back I was not off to do other exercise and not rowing but no real problems with um, sickness Can you think of three songs which remind you of your row? Music oh, yeah, Music and me are a bit of an odd one in that I like music, but I'm not big on it. So try and pinning it down to a few songs. I suppose 
The Water Boys and their song The Whole of the Moon is one that not just for rowing, but whenever I listen to it, it always stirs all sorts of emotions and memories for me just by listening to the lyrics of it. And I'd say if you want a song to listen to, listen to that one. And that sort of shows you what you can reach for and different sort of mindsets of staying at home or, or going for stuff. So I'd say that'd be one song. Another song for bad reasons was for some reason I've never really understood. When I did The Atlantic, I only put 18 songs. I thought I had more, but 18 songs or one audiobook on the iPod that I took, which for 40 odd days ain't a lot, and you do get quite repetitive. And one of them was a horrendous rap song that after listening to it twice, I could just, I made my ears bleed. Um, so I had to skip that. Um, I couldn't tell you what it was. I think I blitzed it from my memory. But on the whole, um, I think on the Atlantic, I don't think I put my iPod on for the first two weeks or first three weeks. I, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I find the rowing in the sea very therapeutic and I quite like not having the music and just the sounds of the water and the wind and just rowing and thinking about stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I did do, 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 do counting. I think I counted up to a thousand once when I was rowing a thousand strokes for no particular reason. It was just something to do. But yeah, you count all sorts of games and ideas. Did you suffer with any post-adventure blues? Oh, I think I sort of covered this earlier when I said that when I did the Atlantic, I had post-Atlantic, I had post-blue, so I organised another rowing trip to go and uh, row around Britain. And that sort of solved that one quite nicely, really. So I didn't really have too many problems. And after the round Britain row, well, life sort of got busy quite quick, really. Um, a few months after, as I mentioned earlier, I had uh, rules to have a baby in the bun in the oven before I left with uh, Rebecca. So um, a few months after I got back, Verity was born. And uh, so, no, didn't really have a chance to uh, get blue at all, really. Um, but I find if people have got them, then, yeah, I think it's good to set yourself another challenge, no matter how, how big or small it might be. Just be aware that you will have that downside when you get back. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? Oh, um, somebody said once I should write a book, but I don't think I've got enough to fill a book. I would say my top, well, say five and see how we go from there, would be one, getting to start is going to be harder than the actual row. Break it down the tasks within your team and really then sort of focus in on your area um, and play to people's skill sets you've got, whether that's fundraising, whether it's sourcing equipment or arranging courses and raising weekends. So yeah, that I would say is persevere and break your skills down. So number two... Talk to some people as you can before you go. Um, there's loads of people out there who will either charge you to come and talk to you and help you out, or there's lots of rows out there who will quietly just spin you some yarns over a couple of pints and just find out what they did in regards to seating and medicine. And yeah, I suppose, yeah, sitting on your ass for 12 hours plus a day is quite hard work. So find out what they did and how they coped with sitting uh, for that long on cushions and what cushions they use and different techniques they did. Number three, Get time on your boat so you feel comfortable about where you put stuff, um, where you're going to store stuff, where you're going to deploy the parachute anchor, where it's going to go, who's going to do it, and really sort of rehearse all those things so they just become second nature to you. You don't want to be faffing around trying to drive, tie a boat in when you're trying to put your parachute anchor out and understand which goes here and what goes that when the time's against you. Yeah, so that's what I'd say is time on your boat, getting routines, understanding who's going to be doing what on the boat and then making sure other people have got backup for those as well. Number four, I would say look at your diet and your calories. Whatever food you take, you're you're going to be in some sort of deficit. So I would look at people's different body types and sizes and I 
think I paid the price for being a larger rower than other rowers on the boat. If you've got somebody who's at five foot and eating the same calories as you at six foot, you're going to be at disadvantage from day one. So I said, really sort of think about that. And I would take with me next time some really highly calorific food, not for everyday use, but after I had bouts of seasickness, then I would really try and hone maybe on some more high calorific food. Not that you're going to build up that deficit again, but to try and at least get that energy back in and get you more of a level footing. So I say diet, really important, and eating, um, and making sure the food you take, you're actually going to like. Number five, finance. Find some of the deep pockets or someone who's very good at reaching to other people's deep pockets and getting that money out. I've spoken to a number of crews over the years. Some have failed, but they just cannot raise the money. Um, obviously, you can take out personal loans to pay it. And when I did around Britain, I know Nigel took out a bank loan in order to pay for his portion of it. And then when we sold the boat bits and pieces, he obviously some of that was paid off. But yeah, I would say just think about how you're going to finance it. I'll be honest, when I did the Mid-Atlantic Row, it cost me altogether about 22 grand, I would say. Uh, it was just with uh, the fee for assignment and flights and accommodation. Probably doesn't include gloss of earnings because I wasn't working at the time anyway. But that was that. Round Britain, I think the total budget cost was £45,000 for Round Britain. And after we sold the boat and with the sponsorship money we raised, I think it cost each of us in the region of two and a half to three grand. We got really lucky in that um, Chris Martin purchased the boat office, um, which took a big chunk out of the costs. So yeah, just think about the finance, how you're going to do it. And finally, would you do it again? People always ask me everywhere, would you do it again? The Atlantic, I'm not sure if I would do the Atlantic again. Yes, it was nice. I enjoyed it and it was a challenge. Navigational-wise, yeah, it's tough because you've got point, waypoints and you row to them and you've got the weather and the weather's much more extreme than around Britain. But I would say probably not. I don't know if I'd even go in for the race. I'm not, I can see why people go for the Talisca race, but I like the idea. I don't do it to race. I do it for the challenge. And I think I will always do independent rows rather than competition rows for a number of, number of reasons. So the Atlantic, I'd be hard pushed to do the Atlantic, partly because of the financial contribution to do it. Round Britain, definitely going to do Round Britain again. Uh, when, I don't know. Um, I would start from London Bridge and not from Southampton, just so, because I haven't done it from London Bridge, it from Southampton last time. I would do it as a trio, because um, I reckon a good, solid trio can go as fast as a four with the food and everything. Would I do it as a pair? Don't know, maybe. But I don't think I'd do it as a solo. I think solo is big for Round Britain, just because of everything that goes through it. But I think next time, Round Britain, trio, maybe in the same boat, if I can get it off Chris, but definitely a Justin Atkin boat. So apologies to Justin for forgetting your name beforehand. But no, Round Britain, just asking boat, probably in the next three or four years, I'll be looking to do that. So yeah, um, as to other areas I might try to do, somebody phoned me up recently and said, would I like to do the Tasman Sea? Which I said, no. So thanks for the offer, Duncan. But I don't know, Australia to New Zealand and then back again? I just don't think I'd get the time off. It sounds amazing. If I win the lottery, maybe go and do that one. Indian Ocean, North Atlantic, maybe dream of all these things but I think where I'm now I'd like to go back and do round Britain again just because I really enjoyed it and it was a fantastic time cheers Jez thank you very much Alex really enjoyed the time really enjoyed talking to this if anybody out there would like any advice then I'm always happy to give in, uh, give some advice 
I live in Southampton. So if you are out in the Solent and you ever need somebody to come along and make up numbers, then by all means, uh, look me up. I'm easy to find. And uh, thank you very much. Goodbye. Massive thank you to Jez for sharing his story and all of his advice. I met him at the Southampton Boat Show and I would definitely look him up if you are down that way and take him up on that offer of a paddle and a chat. He's a really nice bloke. If you are an ocean rower and would like to share your story, get in touch, theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com or via Instagram at theoceanrowingclub. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. And now you can also rate it five stars on Spotify too. So if you're a Spotify user, please go and do that now. They say it helps the podcast to be found, but realistically, it just validates the work I've done and makes me feel good. Like, share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us next week when we will find out what it's like to row with your dad. Toodle pip.